This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Arthur Seltham, Vice President of Health Plan Operations and Chief Growth Officer of Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Seltham, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Laura, it's great, it's great to be here speaking with you, and, and uh, thanks for all that uh, you and Becker's do to uh, keep us up to speed and, and keep us on our game. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast, and it's just, I know we have an exciting conversation planned, but before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how Kaiser Permanente has evolved? You bet. Uh, in terms of my own background, as you introduced my role at Kaiser Permanente as, as uh, leading our health plan operations and, and uh, chief growth officer. Um, I'm actually a physician and public health professional by training. That uh, was my original training and, and then had the unusual career path of becoming involved in uh, management of health plans, provider-sponsored health plans, and a publicly traded health plan. So my role at Kaiser Permanente, I've been at Kaiser Permanente for 20 years now, is to uh, is to lead the health plan operations, the marketing, sales, service, and administration of Kaiser Permanente benefits to our, our customers, employers, and individuals in government programs. You know, it's a, a pleasure to work at Kaiser Permanente. It's a, um, a distinctively different uh, organization on the healthcare landscape. Um, uh, Kaiser Permanente got started actually in the 30s in the desert, you know, taking care of industrial workers who are working on major infrastructure projects. You know, it continued that in that theme until uh, through World War II, where uh, where uh, Kaiser Permanente was the delivery system uh, for many uh, industries during the war effort um, in uh, in California and in um, uh, in Portland, Oregon, and so forth. It's evolved significantly. After the war, it became, a, if you will, a not-for-profit private enterprise available to the general public, um, selling health benefits um, to uh, employers and individuals in, uh, in defined geographic markets. And Kaiser Permanente has you know, continued to grow and evolve over the sub- subsequent 75 years. And today, we take care of about 12.5 million individuals who are our health plan members um, and uh, have about $93 billion of, uh, of revenue in the year just, um, just concluded. You know, in some ways, um, in some ways, of course, the world has changed dramatically, but Kaiser Permanente has really stayed completely uh, aligned with our business model and mission. Our mission is to provide high quality, affordable health care and health benefits uh, to our members and to improve the health of our members in the communities we serve. We have a really distinctive model because we're a very large delivery system. We operate about 40 full-service hospitals, about 600 uh, large, tending to be large medical office buildings, about 500 pharmacies. Um, and that, that delivery system is very well integrated. Um, uh, really, all of that delivery system and other parts uh, exist on a common information technology platform, common medical record, common pharmacy system, common um, health plan systems, memberships and benefits and, and so forth. And so Kaiser Permanente is really unique in the American landscape because it is both a large health plan uh, at $93 billion of revenue and also a very large delivery system almost 250,000 uh, employees and physicians working in our delivery system. And what makes it even more unique is about 98% of the revenue for our delivery system comes from our own health plan. So our delivery system doesn't really work with any other health plans. It's a one-to-one relationship, highly integrated between the Kaiser Foundation health plan and the Kaiser Foundation hospitals and our eight partner medical groups, which are the Permanente Medical Groups. So it's a very unusual structure 
and allows us to um, have some real advantages in terms of coordinating coverage with uh, with uh, the full spectrum of care that uh, our enrolled members require. You know, we we market on the health plan side, which is my responsibility to uh, employer groups. And today we provide health benefits to about 100,000 employer groups who have selected Kaiser Permanente from the federal government to state governments to the, you know, one person florist shop um, that uh, that enrolls in Kaiser Permanente. We're a, a large player in Medicare. We're the fifth largest Medicare Advantage player in the country, a large a participant in individual exchanges, where we're the second largest provider of individual co- coverage in the in the country, as well as Medicaid and the markets we serve. And today we're in and we're in uh, eight separate geographic markets, California being the largest. Wow, that's really impressive to think about how the organization has grown and evolved over the years and really been ahead of the curve in terms of being an organization that's a healthcare provider system as well as a payer and health plan. And when you think about that dynamic between the provider as well as the health plan, how do you anticipate Kaiser Permanente will continue to grow and develop and and lead change in the next three to five months? Or excuse me, three to five years. My apologies. (laughs) That's great. Well, I'm glad we don't have to do it all in the next three to five months. Uh, But I think it's a great question because, you know, the market is so dynamic, you know, and healthcare is so dynamic, you know, both because of the pandemic and because of competition and because of technology and change. You know, we and our our leadership and our board of directors has, has set out five areas we're really focused on, you know, in the uh, in the coming five years, and we won't dive into all of them. But the first, you know, and maybe most important is making it convenient and easy for all of our members to get the care that they need, where and when and how they want it. And so with the advances going on in healthcare, um, there are so many uh, opportunities, and, and we've taken advantage of many, but not all of them to uh, make care um uh, affordable and accessible and convenient and high quality, um, whether that be uh, supported by uh, digital tools uh, that consumers can access, uh, whether through be through the expanded use of telehealth services, both in hospitals and on an ambulatory basis, both for schedule and on-demand appointments, as well as you know really evolving um, to uh, respond to the market's interest in you know care now. Right and getting care now, so that for many things, I will always want an appointment with a physician or other health professional who I have a relationship with and I'll make an appointment for. But for an awful lot of things, for an awful lot of primary and acute care, the ability to provide close to on-demand or same-day or very rapid care, um, either, um, either through telephone, through a video visit, uh, through digital tools or um, on-demand and walk-in uh, primary and urgent care services. So I think we're really focused on moving away from the appointment as, as the primary model of care to really provide a lot of options. I think we do that by um, by investment in technology, by investment in people. You know, we're really proud and, and it's really been uh, helped and demanded by the, the pandemic. Um, we actually uh, wound up last year doing about 31 million telehealth visits, you know, uh, uh, many of them voice, but many of them video as well. We actually, uh, before the pandemic, or really going back 15 years, have invested very significantly in uh, a digital platform that our members can use, both for all their questions and issues about their healthcare coverage, 
and using the same platform that's completely integrated with our delivery system. So people can get information about their health plan and their benefits and their premium payment, and they can wind up having a a virtual visit. They can get health information. They can get uh, assistance with their mental health needs. They can schedule an appointment. They can leave a message with their pharmacist, refill their prescription, and the whole, whole spectrum. And last year, our members, about 12 and a half million members, used that digital platform about 600 million times. So as I think we, we believe we're the leader in terms of uh, both uh, the range of services we provide on an integrated platform and our members' use of that. Because if you think about you know, 12 million people using the platform 600 million times in the year, it, it's really something that people use on an everyday basis. To, uh, to interact both with their health plan and with their physician and with their pharmacist and get, uh, get services they need. So I think we'll continue to double down on um, the things we can do because of our uh, integrated technology platform um, and our integrated health plan and delivery system going forward. We're also awfully focused, as everyone on the call, uh, on the um, podcast knows, on how do we advance affordability so that's always an important issue and how do you design your processes and use technology to improve that? And then of course, how we grow. You know, we grew 185,000 members last year, about four and a half billion in revenue last year. Um, but I think how we grow in the face of the health plan competitors, really good health plan competitors and really sophisticated delivery system is a, is a continuous challenge. And in the, um, you know, we think that uh, more Americans deserve really well integrated, high quality care and we all have to make it more affordable. That's a really great point. And it's so interesting to hear about the continued growth and development, especially during the pandemic. Is there anything um, from your perspective that you see as being roadblocks to some of that growth in the future? Or do you see really it being a clear path in terms of being able to um, double down on the things that you just mentioned and, and attract new members and continue growing in that way? What, what a great question. And I think as COVID's taught us and as competition teaches us, there's no clear path, right? Um, that we all have to, to work hard for, uh, for, for every opportunity. Um, we're really confident in our ability to, uh, to continue to grow um, and, um, you know, improve our value proposition, you know, but it requires really good execution every day. It requires execution um, just in terms of our improving the service experience, and we're always aware and, and appropriately self-critical about our need to continue to improve um, uh, the service experience. I think, how do we effectively implement technology? Because uh, investments in technology are expensive, and it's really important that they um, uh, get done uh, cleanly, uh, cleanly and effectively and efficiently and successfully. I, I think we also try to be very consistent across our, our program try to uh, create a common uh, common care experience. So I think that uh, the, the coming years will have challenges. We're all uh, looking forward, knock on wood, to, um, to um, uh, being able to focus on many, many, many important things, you know, in addition to, uh, to COVID. Uh, I think we've all been very occupied by uh, the need to both um, uh, prevent and care for, uh, prevent COVID, care for people with COVID, protect our employees. Uh, and also, I think, as we all know, and throughout the healthcare industry, you know, the heroes of COVID are the people who have been at the front line of medical care. 
And I think we're all, uh, every organization of scale saying, how do we wind up, um, uh, how do we wind up uh, reducing the impact of burnout, uh, increasing the rewards uh, that our employees feel for the incredible work they do, particularly those at the front um, at the front lines of healthcare, and how do we also, you know, uh, continue to innovate? You know, uh, uh, we want to uh, continue to maintain uh, a broader and broader range of services that we can provide digitally and remotely, if that's the way our uh, members and patients want to get it. Uh, how do we wind up enabling more of our workforce uh, to work flexibly and work remotely, if that is what works best for them? So I think those are some of the things we're we're focused on. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for going through that. Now, what partnerships do you see as being vital for payers and providers to transform healthcare? I know Kaiser Permanente is an integrated health system with all those aspects, but what other partnerships do you really look to to make sure that you're providing the right kinds of healthcare to your members and, and patients? Right. What, what a great question. The, you know, one of the things for us is both a payer and as a provider, highly integrated um, that's important, uh, that's so important to us, essential for our success, is our partnership with our employer group customers, our partnership with government regulators. <clears throat> and then, you know, one of the most important partnerships we have is actually with the individual exchanges in each of our marketplaces. So they are, if you will, a, a customer and a distribution channel partnership, you know, for us, for example, in California, um, we have almost 350,000 members who are enrolled in our health plan through the excellent uh, Covered California Exchange. And so I think we, throughout the implementation of the ACA, have partnered intimately um, with uh, the state and the federal government in the implementation of ACA uh, um, uh, and the exchanges. I think the other thing that we've all learned from um, um, from uh, the pandemic um, and we should uh, keep doing going forward is how do organizations across healthcare partner with each other? How do uh, the many hospitals and many uh, care delivery systems that serve a community work together, you know, particularly when it uh, relates to uh, pandemic related services? How do we work with the public health organizations in each county, in each state, you know, and, you know, with the CDC to coordinate care. Because we've, we've learned that, um, I think of the many lessons in COVID, um, you know, good lessons and, and painful lessons, you know, we've learned that, um, you know, we can't think of public health and health care as completely different things, uh, that our communities will be better served, um, our patients, and in our case, our members will be better served um, if we really coordinate well on things, whether that's uh, whether that's at the start of, of the pandemic, on protective equipment, whether it was on uh, whether it was and is on the availability and uh, ease of getting and paying for testing, and of course uh, whether it be in um, how do we wind up encouraging enabling more people uh, to get vaccines, which will prevent themselves and their families and their coworkers from uh, from uh, getting COVID, and, and also it applies to other immunizations that protect people and keep them healthy, because people would, people would, um, people want to be healthy, right, and it's what we're all in this business to do. That's a really great point, and it's just so interesting to think about all the different areas and facets of partnerships that could potentially really make a difference for the community. Now, Absolutely right. 
Yeah. Before we wrap up our conversation, I had one more question for you. I know we've talked to some degree about some of the digital and virtual care opportunities that Kaiser Permanente will be continuing and doubling down on in the future. Where do you see some of the best opportunities for digital transformation and and new opportunities to go digital um, going forward? Well, boy, what a what a, a important you know an important issue, and I think that um, now that almost everybody um, has you know broadband capability and a personal device, it sort of opens up the world. It opens up the possibilities, you know. But but before um, you know before I answer to that, I, I I do want to comment that you know not everybody has those devices, and so an important part of enabling digital capabilities is making sure that. Um, uh, that in doing so, we also address disparities in access to digital services, uh, that we need to narrow the digital divide that exists, you know, for certain members of our um, of our society, whether that's because of income or of disability and so forth. So just as a, as a reminder, when we think about digital services, about the, the importance of us narrowing that, I think the opportunities that we've taken advantage of and we're excited about is there's an awful lot of opportunity to eliminate unnecessary costs in the healthcare system and make everyday nuts and bolts services, whether that be appointing appointment scheduling, whether it's answering a question, whether it's paying a bill, um, whether it's understanding a bill to use digital technologies uh, to allow people to get that information, do those transactions seven by 24 hours a day, um, you know, without necessarily needing to make a phone call and wait in a queue. So I think how do we wind up using it to improve the administrative service experience uh, and also to uh, take unnecessary costs out of the system as one element. I think also, how do we improve the care experience? Because there's, we're learning that there's so much care that can be provided, you know, whether it be through uh, through chat or through a phone call or through a video visit, uh, much care that can be provided. And, um, and particularly the initial intake process when a health professional is helping someone um, uh, figure out what they need and what's the best way for them to get care, we think there's a huge uh, opportunity there because that allows us um, and allows all of us in the healthcare system to make sure that a patient in need is going to, on the first try, get the right care in the way that's most convenient for them. So both in terms of assessing symptoms, um, uh, interacting with the health care professional virtual, virtually, uh, making an appointment, uh, then, uh, then getting, making an appointment or getting real-time care, um, filling the prescriptions, access to their lab results, and you know, I think the power of of a digital medical record to put the you know almost the whole medical record at the fingertips of the patient and their family um, is empowering. Um, and so I think that that's um, uh, some of the places we're also very excited about. Um, you know, we all know we have a huge problem uh, with respect to uh, mental health and wellness and access to care. You know, there's a, a growing need and uh, unlimited workforce. So how we can use um, uh, digital technology will never replace the need uh, for a licensed um, mental health professional for, for many situations. But I think that the ability to use mental health to uh, assist people and um, 
identifying symptoms, dealing with stress. Um, and that, of course, are things that uh, both facilitate interaction, telehealth and, and chat, uh, and tools that people can use um, um, on their own. And I think we're excited about the range of tools that are available for various conditions to, uh, to do that. And I think probably the last one that we're all watching is um, you know, and, and it, uh, it gets highlighted by the uh, recent ac uh, acquisition of Nuance. Um, where will voice recognition technology go in the near future? And will voice recognition technology um, uh, really enhance personalization in the exam room or in the physician-patient interaction? Uh, will the ability to capture uh, the physician-patient or the caregiver-patient interaction wind up um, um, enabling more face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact um, rather than so much time being spent and energy being spent in documentation. So anyway, so that's looking forward a bit, but I think that uh, certainly technology will uh, has changed our lives dramatically, and uh, we in healthcare need to continue to, to find those technologies, which actually make healthcare uh, more intimate, um, uh, between caregivers and patients and that empower the patient and take unnecessary cost and paperwork and time and effort um, out of the system um, because people want great care and it has to be more affordable. Dr. Seltham, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks, Laura. It's been a pleasure to join you.